You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 43. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie, and I am bringing you another insightful interview. Today's guest has built, bought, and sold several seven and eight figure online businesses. And he's sharing what he's learned along the way with us today. But first, if you're new to the podcast and don't know me yet, and I want to welcome you, thank you so much for joining me. I am Monica Louie. I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six and seven figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed nearly $2 million in ad spend and served more than 700 students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And while I teach a lot about Facebook and Instagram ads, the goal of this podcast is to discuss what it really takes to build a seven-figure online business. And that's why I love to bring you interviews with experts and successful business owners like my guest today. I am so excited to share with you my interview with Mike Jackness from ecomcrew.com. Mike has spent the last 15 years in the online marketing world, starting with affiliate marketing and moving to e-commerce. He has a wealth of knowledge that he's sharing with us today, and I'm so honored to have him on the show. In this episode, you'll learn how and why he got started in online business way back in 2004, the lessons he's learned from growing and selling multiple seven and eight figure online businesses, the criteria he's looking for when it comes to building and growing his next e-commerce brand, his advice for other entrepreneurs who are wanting to grow and sell an online business and a whole lot more. But before we dive in, I wanna make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 43. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 43. All right, let's dive right in to the interview with Mike Jackness from ecomcrew.com. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to have you on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. We met at at Brand Accelerator Live, and for some reason, we haven't chatted since then. So I've been looking forward to this on my calendar for a while. Well, I've been looking forward to this too, because we just need an excuse to catch up and chat. And for everybody listening, I mean, I've been sharing on the podcast about my experiences and traveling and going to events. And this is one of the, I mean, huge perks of going to events is meeting cool people in person that you would have probably never, you know, otherwise had the chance to come across. So why don't you tell everybody about yourself? Because you were one of the speakers for an Accelerator Live, which is Scott Volker's event back in September. So tell everybody a little bit about what you do. Yeah, I've been doing online stuff for about 15 years now. I hate even admitting that anymore because it makes me feel so darn old. But I left my job in 2004 uh, doing affiliate marketing and, and did that for quite a long time. I was in the online poker space. Uh, I was really into playing poker and really got into 
just promoting online poker rooms back in the day when that was a, a thing. <laughs> and uh, eventually just kind of got sick of it. Uh, took a couple years off, started investing in domain names and doing affiliate marketing in other industries. Uh, one of the domain investments that we made was treadmill.com, which later became our first e-commerce site, which we launched in 2012 and sold that in 2015. And since then, I've launched four other brands, which were Ice Wraps, Color It, Wild Baby, and Tac Niner, uh, one of which we sold this year, which was Color It, the adult coloring book brand. And since 2015, been documenting that entire thing along the way on a podcast and blog called Ecom Crew. So quite a bit going on. Yeah, that you condensed into about 90 seconds. So I try, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want this to be talk about Mike the whole time. So I tried to give you the, the quick uh, re- Reader's Digest version. Well, no, I mean, you have, so 15 years online, can I say, it's fair to call you a veteran entrepreneur in the online world. That's a long time. I think that's fair. Yeah. It seems like things change so quickly that even 18 months doing things online, it feels like being a veteran. So I feel like I'm like the old dog in the corner that I can barely get up and move around anymore. So, okay. So how did you get started in the online world? Like what made you even think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I just kind of grew up in that era. You know, I'm a kid of the 80s and was around as the internet was becoming prevalent and kind of got the internet early. I mean, it wasn't not this uh, mysterious thing to me. It seemed like something that was going to be, that was going to be big early on. So, you know, I just kind of had that early adoption mindset and had always been an entrepreneur. And the first business I started was when I was 18 doing computer consulting. And one of those clients that I had eventually hired me and I did end up working for them for seven years. And so uh, at the end of that time frame, I had just really kind of gotten to a point where I was having that itch again and everything kind of just came together in a perfect, a perfect storm of like me ready, being ready to, to go do something else, being really involved and like excited about poker as a hobby. I was like just, you know, so matching up a personal interest and passion and finding out about affiliate marketing, like all at the same time as that was all coming to, you know, a peak back then. It was you know, 2004 online poker was like really just the fury around that was becoming kind of crazy. I mean, everybody was trying to jump online and play and, you know, this is pre any type of laws or legalization. So it was a, you know, at the right place at the right time and, you know, just working harder at the same time. But I mean, by the time I started doing that to the time I quit my job was less than six months. So it took off pretty quick. So what exactly were you doing? You mentioned affiliate marketing, but did you build your own website where people could come play poker? Is that how it worked? No, no, I never had any interest in doing that for a whole bunch of reasons. I think that there's just, it's really tough to do that. Not only from a software standpoint and getting, you need enough players. And and if it's an online casino, it's quite easy. You can run an online casino with one person. You can host a blackjack game or a roulette game or craps game with just one person there. But online poker, you need hundreds and hundreds of people constantly online at all times to be able to to get games to launch because you have different limits, different types of games, limit, no limit, Omaha, high, low, or whatever, different limits in terms of, is it 25 cent, 50 cent? Is it $1, $2, $5, $10? So you need lots and lots of people. That's really hard to get. There's also just like a, a huge question around the legality of all of it. And, you know, after talking to a lawyer about it, I realized that that was a little bit too far to go, but being an affiliate marketer, basically sending them traffic uh, was perfectly legal. There was nothing really even in a gray area at that point because you're basically just an advertiser for for these online poker rooms. And so that was the easiest thing to do, especially at the time when I was just kind of getting started there and 
you know, basically, long story short, is when we had the opportunity to to launch our own room, we passed on that just because of the other things I mentioned. Okay, so you were driving traffic to these sites, so and then making a commission from your blog or website. Exactly. I mean, much the same way that you know people will send traffic to credit card companies or web hosting companies or Amazon or dif- you know different travel things. We were just sending that traffic to online poker rooms. Got it. Okay. So then that's where you got started and you and you saw the potential in the online world. And then you had an interest in, you said, investing in domain names. And so where did that idea come about? Did you just see that that was property that you could purchase and then maybe resell? Is that how it worked? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And that also came from just years of doing things in online poker, affiliate marketing. I mean, we got really good at SEO. And so we ranked for a lot of the top terms in that space and also had purchased a few domain names in that space that were worth quite a bit of money and really just understood the value of of keyword domains, you know, things that are exact match. And I think there's still quite a bit of value in that today. Some of the the keyword domains have lost value and are, are kind of worthless if they're you know, online-poker-sites.info or something that doesn't really have any clout anymore. But if you went onlinepoker.com, that would be a, a heck of a domain. And so this is something I realized. And at the same time, I was looking to get just get out of online poker. The thing that I realized over time is that I just didn't associate on a personal level with the types of people that were in that industry. You know, just if you can think of all the stereotypes of what you might think of uh, people that are in the online gambling industry, a lot of them were pretty true and accurate. And I just wanted to distance myself from that at a certain point. I just kind of had had enough of being around those types of people. And so at the end of 2010, I just left the industry and handed the business over to someone else, one of our partners in the business. And that's when we started doing this investing. And so I looked at at other things, like one of the sites we bought, for instance, was websitehosting.com and, and ran that as an affiliate site. And like I mentioned, treadmill.com was one. We also own like onlinedegree.com, wordpressthemes.com, graphicdesign.com, online storage.com. There's like a, a huge list of these that we went out and bought and turned those into affiliate sites. And eventually at some point, I realized that I didn't really want to be doing that any longer, but I wanted to take advantage of the investments that we had made. And the thought process was to actually run a, a site that added more value to the world. And physically sold something. So that's what we converted treadmill.com into. And the rest is kind of history from that perspective. Okay. So that was how you ventured into the e-commerce space. Yeah. I mean, it was nuts because we knew nothing about it. Like, I mean, I literally knew nothing about e-commerce, didn't know what platforms existed out there. I mean, I literally was doing Google searches of how to run an e-commerce store. (laughs) That's how we got started. So that was going to be my question because now, I mean, you have this brand where you teach people how to build successful e-commerce brands, but there were not, you know, this flurry of resources back then. So you were Googling and then you kind of had to piece the puzzle together. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we stumbled upon big commerce and Shopify and, you know, Magento and the other platforms that were out there and just started reading about them. They all had free trials. So we gave them a shot and, we ended up settling on big commerce at the time in 2012 when we launched travel.com because we felt like it was the best platform at the time. And I think that it was the right decision, but eventually I think the reality is is that Shopify kind of has won this race. And so now we run all of our stores on Shopify, but yeah, I mean, we were doing the same Google searches. I think everyone else does when they look into get into e-commerce and you're right. There wasn't a lot of resources available at that time. And so then because you had the domain treadmill.com, did that 
help it get a push in the rankings with SEO? Or how did you start to grow your brand and grow your audience then? Yeah, I mean, it did. It definitely helped quite a bit. I mean, obviously, you know, someone's typing in treadmill.com. I think it just gives something like that instant credibility where there's dozens, if not hundreds of other shops online that sell this equipment. And it did help us for sure from an SEO perspective as well, which was awesome. The thing that it didn't help with, which I was shocked with, was the vendor relationships. A lot of the vendors, the manufacturers were in this kind of legacy brick and mortar and sales pipeline world. And they didn't really seem to care that we own treadmill.com. And that was actually the biggest challenge that we face over everything. That's interesting. And I think that you had the foresight to see what the potential was online. But I think it's taken a while for the more brick and mortar stores to kind of get up to speed with that. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting world. I mean, if you think about how people used to go buy fitness equipment in like the 80s and 90s, you would go into, especially higher end stuff, you'd go into a specialty fitness equipment manufacturing uh, retailer that had the $2,500 and above pieces of equipment, treadmills and ellipticals and stationary bikes, and you'd buy it there. And those guys carried a lot of weight with the manufacturers because it's kind of like you don't want things to change basically. And you got this retail store and you've been making a living this way. And these online retailers come around and all these retail shops kind of perceive that as a threat and taking a piece of their business. And the reality was, is that that's exactly what it was, but you know, just like Uber or, you know, any of these other types of services that have come around that are better, eventually it's really hard to fight. And so they're still rectifying this. I mean, we got out of it in 2015. So I'm not sure how things have changed over the last four years, but from 2012 to 2015, when we were doing it, it was a, a constant battle of us being allowed to sell some equipment, us not being allowed to sell it, and then being able to get it back again, and not being able to sell it. It was a constant fight where, depending on whose ear the manufacturers had that day, or what person in the company had more influence uh, at a C level in these companies, dictated whether or not we could sell the equipment or not. And it was very frustrating. So, is that what led you to eventually sell it, or how did that idea come about? It was. I mean, that was one of a couple of factors. I mean, that was definitely really frustrating because we had put a, a lot of effort into a couple of the manufacturers to ultimately have the rug pulled out from underneath of us. And we put it, you know, you kind of haven't known me for that long, but you can probably tell that when we do something, we do it right. So, you know, a typical e-commerce store or affiliate in this space would kind of go on Amazon or to the manufacturer's website, grab their pictures and their stock copy and put up their site and just start selling it. We travel to these manufacturers, hired models for the day, you know, spent tens of thousands of dollars creating videos and and content around it to make us better and different. We had you know, full-time people answering the phones and worked really hard to provide better service. And, you know, so ha- to have that kind of fall apart is, is definitely disheartening, but, you know, I guess it's, it's business at the end of the day. The thing that ultimately pushed me away from Treadmill and ha- kind of gave me this desire to sell it and move on to something else in e-commerce was really at the end of the day, we weren't really able to make customers happy. And I'm very much a people person. And whether it's you know just a friend or someone that's I've sold something to, I want them to be happy. I want them to have a positive experience and a positive you know, thought when they think of Mike Jackness. And the reality was, is in this business, that was very hard to do because we had very little control. I mean, we controlled the sale, but very little after that. You know, we didn't control the shipping experience. So we had no control of how quickly the stuff went out the door because it was all being drop shipped from the manufacturer. We didn't control how it got to the customer. You know, they picked the trucking company. 
And these trucking companies are notorious for being late, damaging equipment, uh, not showing up at all, <laughs> not showing up with enough staff to like help get it into the building. And then there was the final mile company that if there was assembly services that would go out there and the United States is a huge country. And so having a good final mile provider in all 50 states, or let's just say 48 contiguous states is actually much more difficult than you would think. And so people would show up without the experience to put the equipment together properly, or they'd break it or, you know, and it was just like you know, all these different things that would come up that produced the negative experience. And, and rightfully so, like, I mean, the customers had a reason to be upset and, we were in a position where we just, we couldn't solve it for them. You know, and I tried for a couple of years and at the end of the 2014 holiday season, I was just like, I'm done. Like I, <laughs> I can't take this anymore. Uh, and so we put it up for sale in January and, and sold it like within a couple of weeks. It was actually kind of crazy how quickly uh, we got a buyer, but I was ready to be done. Well, it seems like it's prime time if you put it up in January that that's when people are motivated to you know get healthy and work out and build their consistent workout routine. So you put it up where? What exactly was that process to try and find a buyer? So we, this was another huge surprise actually. We actually first went to all the manufacturers and we're like, look, we're looking to sell treadmill.com. You got this would be a great property to have as a part of your your repertoire. And if you don't buy it, your competitor is going to. And I thought that would be like there would be a bidding war. Like I really thought that it was going to go crazy. Uh, surprisingly, none of them had any interest. Like none of them got online sales. Even, I mean, it was crazy to me. And so we got the help of a broker to help us list it. And uh, we also had talked to all of our competitors and the competitors that were in the space were very much interested. Uh, so between the discussions with the competitors and the broker, we actually had multiple offers uh, relatively quickly. And we ended up just selling it to the, basically to the highest bidder. and. The person who ended up buying it was, it was their first time doing anything in e-commerce. It was like an individual. I gave them 30 days of, of training and that was the last I've really thought about it until these interviews come up and I start thinking about it again. But I'm very much a compartmentalized kind of person. Like once I make a decision to do something, I keep thinking forward and not much backwards. So then what did you learn from that experience that you put into your next business? Because that you've built multiple brands since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the thing that I, I mean... What I realized was I, I had put very close to my 10,000 hours in the e-commerce by that point. And you know, I had the experience to launch an e-commerce store. And I also kind of had some experience of what I didn't want to do, as you're kind of talking about. And so what I didn't want to do was drop shipping any longer. I wanted to have a lot more control over the process, even if it meant more work. I didn't want to sell things that were being shipped by trucking companies. I didn't want to be in a business that had products that changed continuously that was another thing that I didn't realize going into it, but every model year there was a new treadmill, new elliptical, and, and everything became obsolete. And so when you're very content focused like we are and work really hard on that, you're losing your investment every year. And it's just a lot of work to constantly like take new pictures and bring a model in again and, and make new videos. And that stuff's really expensive. So I wanted something that that just had a better shelf life. And the phrase that everyone kind of throws around now is something that kind of would fit in a shoebox and I didn't think of it that way at the time, but that's basically what I was looking for. And so at the time that we had put treadmill up for sale, I discovered ice wraps on bizbysell.com. So I had one employee that I wanted to keep and do something with. He was just a really great employee uh, that I used for treadmill. And so I found icewraps.com and it, it checked off all these boxes of, you know, I could have the inventory in my own warehouse, which we already had because the treadmill.com, we had signed a lease for a couple of years for a mixed use space to be able to to have a retail store in the front just to get 
the ability to sell a couple of the manufacturers stuff that required that. And so we already had some space in the back and already had a lease and it, it worked out perfectly to, to take over that business. And you know, from there, I learned even more stuff, but ice wraps has turned out to be an amazing investment. And we were looking to probably sell that sometime in the next like 12 to 18 months. And, you know, so once we do, I think the whole book on that business will be written, but so far it's been just an absolutely amazing business. I mean, we, from a net profit perspective, we're making more in a month than we paid for the site originally at this point. So it's definitely turned out to be a great deal for us. Wow. That's awesome. So did you buy ice wraps in 2015 also? I did January, 2015. I found this guy, like I said, on biz by sell, they were in this town called Hudson, Michigan. So I flew up to Detroit and, you know, got around a car drove down there and, and spent the week with them and packed it all up in a freight company's truck because I didn't want to drive a truck across the country in the middle of the winter. And then flew back home and like two weeks later, all the inventory for ice wraps was in California where I was living at the time and we were in business. Wow. So now that has built up to be, I mean, super profitable, you said, based on, you know, from your investment initially, but along the way, you've also built other businesses. So why wasn't the one enough? Why did you add more businesses to the mix? Well, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, I have a disease. So <laughs> for no other reason than that, I don't know. Like, I mean, that's another whole conversation, but I do try to talk about that a lot lately. I think that entrepreneurship can be a disease just as much as like being an alcoholic or a drug addict. And I'm not trying to diminish the, those other things, obviously people that have those problems are, you know, it, it's serious. But I also think that from an entrepreneur, it's, it's just a serious, if you really are addicted to entrepreneurship, it's, you know, you work too many hours and do too many things and certainly have been in that camp and that led us down the path to do some of these other projects. It's worked out really well, uh, but it eventually it did kind of burn me out. And it's one of the reasons why we sold one of the brands earlier this year. Can you talk about that brand? Yeah. So we sold a brand called Color It. We started that also in 2015, but much later in 2015. It was really, really 2016 before it started. And so for just about three years, we ran that you know, from zero to several million dollars in sales per year and ended up selling it for seven figures in April of 2019. So from the treadmill journey to the ice wraps journey, we learned a couple more things, which was uh, we wanted to be selling products that people were passionate about. You know, people are not passionate about ice packs. <laughs> we wanted something that was just, you know, consumable, that uh, was our own product that you know, we could put our name on it and have intellectual property and, and control that process even more and be able to make some improvements in an industry that already kind of existed that had some, that already had some proof. And, we did quite well. I mean, it was a heck of a journey. That was the brand that kind of burned me out the most is because it was super intense, the growth pattern. You know, we were growing 100% per year as a company between Ice Wraps and Color It and the other things we were doing. And I mean, it's a huge feat if you're going from like 100,000 to 200,000. I don't want to minimize that either. You know, or 500,000 to a million even in sales. It's definitely amazing to be able to do that. But we were going from you know, numbers that were much bigger, you know, from... 2 million to 4 million and 4 million to 8 million and funding it all on our own. And it was you know, a situation where we just never had any money. Like on paper, as we paid our tax returns, we owed the IRS a lot of money for all the quote unquote profits we were making. But because we were growing quicker than our cash flow allowed for, we just never had any cash in the bank. And we went into e-commerce pretty financially independent and, and feeling pretty good about ourselves. But one thing I learned is running an inventory business is that it can make anyone broke. And at the end of several years of running a business like that, I was just ready to 
take some chips off the table, if you will, and also just take a break from working as many hours and just kind of regenerate and recharge the batteries. And so that's what we did. And that's been a fun several months since then and looking forward to trying to just basically take one full year off. So by April of next year, I think we'll be back on the something else. Well, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate you sharing that because when you say 100% growth per year and going from 2 million to 4 million, 4 million to 8 million, that doesn't sound like a bad problem. No, have. and it's a, a good, that's the problem you want, right? You don't want to be going right. from 2 million to 1 million and 1 million to 500,000. That, that's certainly not what you want. But at the same time, the good problem is also very, very stressful because, and Maybe it was just, you know, youth and naivete. I mean, the businesses we ran before were affiliate marketing businesses. And, you know, I, I always used to joke that, like, it just seems like money is falling from the sky. And it kind of was in that, in that regard because there was no expenses. And we just got paid cash all the time. And it was really awesome. But, you know, you'd always hear this saying, like, cash is king. And we got a, a pretty hard lesson about that. And so what would your advice be to people who are wanting to get started in e-commerce or already have an e-commerce business in order to better manage that cash flow. So you're not feeling like you're seeing this growth, but you're not actually realizing it in your bank account. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be growing at 100% or 200% per year or something in that range, there's not much you can do about that. I mean, math is, is math, no matter how you look at it. As you buy product and it sells more, you're buying more product before you've even sold through the first batch. And, you know, and that cycle continues for for quite a while. And so you just constantly need more money. And you know, so the, the advice I would give is, is either A, first thing I, I regret not doing is getting a relationship with a bank much sooner. You know, that can certainly help quite a bit. You need two full years of tax returns before you can do that. But once we kind of established a relationship with the bank and understood how powerful that can be, that was a game changer. Having higher margin products is another really important thing that we kind of learned along the way. You know, we were originally looking at products that we bought for a dollar and sold for two. And we were quite happy with that at one point, you know, as a reseller of Vice Wraps products uh, when we were doing other people's products. That was really good margin compared to what we were doing with treadmills. And then eventually we realized we can do our own private label branded stuff and we could buy it for a dollar and sell it for three and cut out the middleman. And then eventually realized that, man, we really should be buying it for a dollar and selling it for four. And so as we've gotten higher and higher margin products, that's helped quite a bit. And then we just say no a lot more to the lower margin stuff. So, you know, if you're looking to get into it, you know, really try to achieve those those higher margins. But the other thing I would really encourage people more than anything is to listen to yourself and what seems right for you. I mean, for me at the time, I don't really regret the process we went through and it was still pretty calculated from a perspective of, you know, I'm a, a pretty intense guy and I'm willing to take big risks. And as much as it was stressful being in that scenario I was talking about, I also loved every minute of it. And I also saw that it was an opportunity that only comes around every so often. And I wanted to be full pedal to the metal as much as I could uh, during that time. But that's not for everyone. I mean, lots of people listening might think I'm a complete maniac and insane for like what we went through. And in some respects we were, because if something went wrong along the way, we weren't as in a great a position to deal with it. And so you know, I would encourage people just to to be themselves and do what's right for them and their families. I mean, it, it also has a lot to do with your age and your financial situation going into things. If you go into it with nothing to lose, then you have nothing to lose. If you go into it with you know, a house and a family and a bunch of money in the bank already, there's, the stakes are much different. And so don't you know, listen to people like me who are on podcasts all the time, like kind of pounding their chest about all the success they've had, because all that does is make you 
do stuff that you might not want to otherwise do. And that can be really dangerous. So now going forward, I mean, you are still building more e-commerce brands. And so you have another project that you're going to be working on later in 2020. Can you share about that? What's next? Yeah, I mean, I can share with it ambiguously because I just haven't decided exactly what that's going to be yet. We've been in the pretty deep discussions with several different companies about what we're looking to do. And so the next thing we do is definitely going to be a, a bigger bet than what we've done in the past. But uh, there's a lot of criteria that I'm looking for that you know I've learned from the color right days. And so number one, definitely something that has those really good margins, definitely sticking with something that has that repeat customer aspect, something that has some sort of intellectual property built into it. Something that I probably have a personal interest in myself, I think is something I'm really trying to to leverage. I mean, as much as I loved Color It and very proud of what we built there, and I loved our customers and the whole experience, like I was just never a colorist. And, you know, I look back at the online poker days and I mean, it was a similar life cycle of being all in and stressed in this crazy environment. And somehow like just being personally interested in the sport or hobby or whatever you want to call poker made things way more interesting to me and kept me much more in the game than color it because I just never really cared about coloring all that much. It was just something that was just a way to make money. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad. It just, for me, the excitement level that I had for seven years of doing online poker stuff or just poker, it wasn't just online, but just poker stuff in general. You know, I was really into it, you know, from day one to day seven years or whatever that works out to. And versus color it at some point, I was like, yeah, you know, it's just like, it's, it felt like the same thing over and over again. And and while that was the same thing over and over again in poker, it was also my hobby. And so it was, I was more into it. It's, it's hard to kind of explain, but it's something that I just kind of personally realized that I'd rather be into something that that I have more of an interest in. And so hopefully the next thing that I do, at least I'll be able to see myself as a customer. That's important to me. Okay. And so are you looking to buy Brand, I heard you say on your podcast that you're looking to buy a business. Is that true? Or are you looking to build another one from scratch? It's definitely not going to be something from scratch. That was one of the things that I originally had had looked at doing. But after talking to Dave and Dave, who I run Ecom Crew with, the podcast you're listening to, they really talked me into buying something for a number of reasons. First of all, starting something from scratch takes a long time. And while I have the time and the patience to do that, we also have an ulterior motive of producing some interesting and cool content for Ecom Crew. And we've already done the starting something from scratch thing a couple of times. Like I've done that with Color It and documented that all along the way. Dave's been doing that with his off-roading gear brand. And we've never documented ice wraps because when I bought ice wraps, I hadn't started Ecom Crew yet. And so the thought of like going out and talking about something that I'm buying and the process of that and then growing it from there will probably produce more interesting content. And uh, it's a little bit more risk on my part because I got to shell out some cash to go buy a business. But you know, I think that we are in a position where we can make a pretty educated decision on what to go out there and buy and get something that's a, a really good opportunity. In fact, I've been looking at things that kind of have me salivating at this point because they're such, to me, amazing opportunities. And there's lots of those things out there. So I think it'll be fun to do that. And or the other thing we've been looking at is, is partnering with somebody. So it's not something that we buy outright, but come in and, and have a a pretty substantial equity stake in their business and come in to run it at a C level with them. And so that's something else that we're looking at as well. Very cool. And so can you share what you've got going on with Dave and Dave at Ecom Crew? Because you guys have a lot going on over there. Yeah. I mean, we're 
put out about 300 podcast episodes, uh, almost a million downloads now, which is is nuts to me. Podcast comes out every week. Dave produces the content, the written content. So there's about an article a week or, or two or three per month, depending on the, the length of the stuff he puts out there. The content's just incredible. Like I was just doing a presentation to our team and the contents produce backlinks from things like Verge and Forbes and MSN and Wall Street Journal. I mean, it's just incredible the things that we've gotten backlinks from. It's a really almost a case study in, in SEO as well, which has been really cool. We also have a subscription service that we offer, a premium service that is a combination of courses and access to us through email for unlimited support and some monthly webinars. Uh, and we have some free training in a, a book as well over at ecomcrew.com slash book or ecomcrew.com slash free. So we have quite a bit of stuff going on, but if you're interested in e-commerce at all, I would encourage you to check out the podcast. I mean, it's basically 300 episodes of, of free content on how to do basically everything that we've done. And it's all there to listen to at any time. That's very cool. Well, I wanted you to share that because, I mean, as you were talking about potentially partnering with a brand or a company... I was thinking, you know, well, you're in a prime position to come in, you know, as a consultant and help, but you already have programs where you offer kind of your insights on things. Is that correct? We do. And we've been careful of how we've set that up because, you know, I don't want to be in a position where I'm like trading an hour of my time for money. You know, so it's not, we don't do consulting per se, where just like pay us X dollars per hour and we'll come in and, and help you or your business. What we set up is a lot of pre-recorded like training materials and modules where people can watch them at their own pace. And then we can bulk do these webinars, you know, so it's like one to many, many people, you know, so it's Dave and I on this webinar twice a month, you know, so every two weeks we're doing a webinar, but we're able to broadcast it out to to hundreds of people that are part of our service. And then the one, the one stuff that we do is email support. So it's things that you can ask through email and, and get help on. And I really like the, what we've set up because it, it works really well for me and my schedule. And we end up getting the types of entrepreneurs in there that are, the types of people that I really like working with at this capacity and being able to to help a lot of people, which has been something that I never really thought would be something that would be necessarily for me. But what I've realized is that helping them has been some of the most rewarding stuff I've ever done in my life. It's just been incredible. But there are people that already mostly have businesses and, and there's a couple of people that, that have joined that are just getting started, but most of them are are people that have been doing this for a bit and just want to get to the next level. And so we we're very careful never to sell a dream. Like that's one thing that we never want to do is, you know, there's lots of these, you know, quote unquote gurus out there that are like, just buy my course and sprinkle my secret pixie dust on it and follow my 12 step process and you'll be a millionaire overnight. And we're very careful to you know, let people know that e-commerce is difficult and requires a lot of work and you can produce a, you know, a really good store and lifestyle for yourself, but it isn't as easy as just snapping your fingers and sprinkling magic dust. And so I think that's what makes us different is that we're very real about it and, you know, we aren't trying to make the overnight dropship store or you know, show people how to use Jungle Scout and just launch dozens of products a year that are meaningless and a bunch of things like that. We really try to stress the be different, build a brand and put the hard work and time into it and you can have success. Well, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate your openness with today's conversation. Can I ask you for those who are thinking, you know, I want to do what Mike did. I want to build up my brand and I want to be able to sell it one day, what kind of advice would you have knowing that that's the end goal? Yeah. I mean, I think you got to be different, right? It's to some point. So if you're following everybody else, there's like that saying, you follow everyone else, you get lost in the crowd or 
Uh, I forgot exactly what I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it's just so true. So, I mean, everyone's teaching the same thing right now. Just go on Jungle Scout, find products that meet these criteria and just launch them. You know, the thing that made Color It successful was subtle differences to our products. So there was already coloring books out there and there were already gel pens, already pencils, but we made them better. And, you know, I, I barely made it out of high school. So I'm not exactly the smartest guy in the room. And so if I can figure it out, other people can figure it out too. And it was small differences like putting hardback covers on the books or using artist grade paper instead of just the same paper that's printed your Stephen King novel or adding a spiral binding so the book lays flat and makes it easy to easier to color so you're not fighting the book and putting perforated pages in the books so people can tear them out and share their artwork. And you know, these are all things that we realized by just looking at the existing products that were out there and reading the reviews, you know, reading the one and two star reviews that other people put, which were like, you know, I really like this book, but you know, they printed on both sides. And when I colored on, on this page, it bled through and ruined the back page. And I can't color it. It's like, okay, well, all we got to do is just print on one side or, and use better paper. Or, you know, I really love this book, but I, I'm constantly fighting, trying to hold the book open while I'm coloring. And you just think, well, I can solve that by adding a spiral binding. And, you know, so what became our future competitors, like just looking at their, at their reviews were where all the ideas came from to, to just build some unique stuff into our brand. And, I didn't even know the coloring niche. And so again, if you, everyone can kind of figure this out, if you can find a niche that people are passionate about that, you know, you can find something unique about and it has some consumability to it, like coloring, for instance, uh, you can do something very similar too. And the first place to look is just your own hobbies. You know, if you're in the fishing, that's a great one or hunting or playing tennis or scuba diving or just hiking. I mean, all these different niches have tons of different products that you can launch. And so depending on your hobby, that's a, a great place to start looking. That's awesome. Thank you. And from what you were saying, I mean, I think it comes back to, sounds like part of your success with Color It came from the customer experience, which is the lesson that you learned from treadmill.com that you didn't like not having control of the entire customer experience. And so that's something that was really important for you to build into your future businesses. Absolutely. And you know, the great thing about Color It is that we had the margins to just basically always say yes to our customers. And so what I told our, our customer service team was effectively like never say no. Like if a customer asks for something, never tell them no, no matter how ridiculous or outlandish it is, make them happy. And if we feel like someone's scamming us, that's a different story, you know, so keep track of this stuff. And but on the first time, you know, we would keep track of how many times customers ask for things. But if it's their first time asking for something, then just don't say no. You know, it's like I colored 49 of the pages and there's only one page left. and but now I decide I don't like the book. Fine, we'll send you another one. Pick another title. I, I used up all my colored pencils and realized now that they're defective. Whatever. Send another one. Like whatever crazy stuff they would ask for, we just made them happy. You know, just make people happy and you know, provide really awesome customer service. Realizing that 80 or 90% of the people that are asking for this stuff, like legitimately just kind of feel wronged in some way and, and they had a bad experience. And it's nothing more than that. And yes, there are some percentage of people that are just completely taking advantage, but you know, trying just not to let the one spoiled apple in the bunch like ruin everyone else kind of attitude. And you know, if we see someone asking for something outlandish three or four or five times, eventually, yeah, we can say no to them. But and so, yeah, it would be very difficult to find anything negative on the internet about color. I mean, there are definitely still are those people out there that no matter what we did, we couldn't make them happy. It's like, give them a full refund and let them keep everything and say, we're sorry. And they're like, still, we're the worst company ever. <laughs> you know, that, that's something you just, you can't make better. But 
everything else, we did our best. So I have a question for you. As someone who's been in the online world for 15 years now, and you were an early adopter to even seeing the potential with building a business online, now that we are, as we're recording this, it's the very end of 2019. We're going into a whole new decade in 2020. What do you kind of foresee as being on the horizon in online business? Yeah, I mean, I see e-commerce specifically continuing to grow. I mean, as big as it is, it's still only 15% of the market. You know, 85% of transactions still are happening in a a brick and mortar retail store, which is, is just nuts. And of that 15%, Amazon owns more than half, a little bit more than half of it. And so I think that you're in a very safe spot if you're looking to get into an online business in 2020 and beyond. It's going to continue to grow. Like, People that like shopping online, like myself, are never going to wake up one day and have an epiphany of how much they miss the mall and they're going back to the mall to go shopping. Like That is never going to happen to me, Like no matter what <laughs> happens in my life. I hate going to the mall. Like I hate going out to the store and dealing with the crowds. And you know, there's a few things, obviously, that make, you know, like if you're like trying to buy shoes or something, or maybe you know, certain things that you want to try on and really look and touch and feel it, it's a different story. But for the most part, I like buying everything that I purchase online. And I, I think that as younger people, the next generation starts getting money in their wallets and spending, that's going to continue that trend. And so I think that things are going to continue to grow. But as things continue to grow and get more mature, the competition becomes more difficult. You know, it's like, how do you compete against Amazon these days? Like they are so far ahead in delivery and the customer experience. And they have hundreds, millions of credit cards on file worldwide now. And it's very difficult to compete at a commodity level. So I'd be thinking about like, what can you do different? And what can you do different that will be different still three to five years from now when your business is getting more mature yourself? And so the answer to that is the riches are in the niches. So I mean, if you're looking to get into something, doing commodity things that everyone else is doing, going to be way more difficult than it's ever been. But if you're doing something that's very unique and custom, I think there's lots of room to grow. And so again, niche hobbies, things that literally have customization as a part of them, uh, where you're engraving or sewing to order. We were joking about Steve Chu earlier, uh, but I mean, he has these handkerchiefs that he makes and they're all custom made. And is Amazon ever going to get into that? Like, heck no. Like that's something they're never getting into. It's just, it doesn't work at their scale, right? And so providing customization or doing things that are super niche where you have like lots of amazing content around that. That's something that Amazon, again, will never compete with. I mean, using my buddy Andrew Darian as an example that ran Right Channel Radios and did a bunch of stuff with CBs, like Amazon, yeah, they're going to sell those same CB radios, but the type of content that he was putting out will never be replicated by an Amazon. And so if you're really, again, if you're in like something like hiking, for instance, and you go every time you go out hiking, you really document every single trail that you're doing and all the equipment you're using and start to really get a following and becoming a market leader and an expert in that space. Once you have that attention, selling is the easy part. You know, our friend Alex, uh, who was also at Brand Accelerator Live, is a great example of that, where you have the attention from writing content for years and and becoming a, a thought leader in the space. When you go to launch a product, the selling part is actually the easiest part. And I, I don't mean to minimize, uh, you know, how difficult all that is still, but I'm sure if you asked her or Andrew or anybody that has an audience like that ourselves, uh, it's quite easy. It's actually quite easy to do if you built that trust up over the years. And so I think that 
that's going to continue to be a, a massive opportunity moving forward. And the sooner you know, people listen and get that and go do that, the sooner they can be successful at it. Yeah. You mentioned Alex from Travel Fashion Girl. She was on the podcast. So we'll link to that episode in the show notes. But I mean, you're right. She's done exactly that. She first built the following and then she realized that she was linking to all these affiliate products and many of them on Amazon. But she saw that there was room for improvement in in tweaking the product that existed out there and making it a little bit better. She developed her own packing cube system and now they sell like hotcakes. So yeah, I think you're exactly right that in order to really stand out, you've got to differentiate yourself and your brand. And also if you are going to compete against Amazon, then you know how are you going to make your brand different than what something that Amazon could just sell? Um, exactly. And so the customization, I think that's huge. Yeah. I mean, and so like, you know, in Alex's case, I mean, the, the hard part for her was making that audience, right? If you were to, I'm sure if we were have her on as a three-way podcast someday, we can talk about things like this. And, and I'm sure she talked about it on the episode that you're going to link to, but no one talks about the article she first put up when she was first getting started that she seemingly was like talking to herself and there was no audience except for her mom. Right? It's that's the hard part, you know, but when you get to the point where you have that attention, it's very hard. Like no one can take that away from her. Like she has built an amazing following and that you have to almost try to screw yourself out of that attention at this point where, you know, you've done something that's like really pisses off your audience and you got to really, like I said, you got to kind of try almost to lose that. And you know, so that's such an asset to, that she has. And, and and I mean, the same could be said about Ecom Crew. It's a very similar thing that we've done there. We've been doing that for five years. We've got a really amazing reputation, put out tons of articles and podcasts. And I mean, most of everything that we do is free. You know, I mean, we very, very small portion of people that, that know about Ecom Crew pay us for premium. And we're fine with that. Like, I mean, I know eventually the people that are interested in it, they'll eventually sign up and they'll, they'll give us money. And that's totally cool. But you know, if we first tried to sell that on day one, there would have been no one that would have bought it, you know, so it takes a lot of time to build that. But once you have it, it's very difficult to get rid of it. So can you share as we wrap up here where people should go to follow you, to listen to your podcast, to find all the things regarding Income Crow? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, E-C-O-M-C-R-E-W. Sometimes people like to stick a second M in there. I, I would have named it something different if I had the foresight it was the thing that we could register for $15 that day <laughs> when the day that we decided to launch it. But yeah, Ecom Crew, ecomcrew.com, Ecom Crew on iTunes, Ecom Crew on all the social handles. If you want to email me, support at ecomcrew.com. We'll get an email over to me. All that we have pretty consistent. And yeah, so check out the content. Hopefully you'll like it. And if you do, leave us a review. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time and diving into your story and sharing many of your lessons learned. I feel like there's so much more that we could have dove into, but I really appreciate your openness. And I definitely think that everybody should check out what you've got going on at ecomcrew.com and check out your podcast for sure. Thanks, Monica. It was awesome coming on. All right. I want to give a huge thank you once again to Mike for coming on the podcast and sharing all of his insights with us. I absolutely loved how open he was with sharing his ups and downs and what it really takes to build several successful businesses in the online world. And I would absolutely love to hear your biggest takeaways from this episode. You can share those with us in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 43 or tag Mike and me on Instagram. I am at Flourish with Monica and he's at Michael Jackness. You'll find all the links and resources we mentioned in this episode at monaclouie.com slash 43. 
And thank you so much for joining Mike and me today. If you are ready to scale your business with Facebook ads, then check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. You can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through these six simple steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus there's an awesome checklist so you can make sure you've got everything you need before you jump into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you love a good checklist. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, go to monicalouie.com WWM. We have information there about our services. As I mentioned, I'll have all the links and resources that we mentioned today in the show notes, which you can find at monicalouie.com slash 43. And if you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast and subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another super special guest on the show. So subscribe so you don't miss it. My guest has built a multiple six-figure online business in a surprising niche, and she's got a lot of cool things going on. That's exactly why I wanted to have her on. She's got a popular Facebook group. She's killing it on YouTube. She's selling several different low-priced products, and she's crushing it with affiliate marketing. And she's sharing how she does it all in less than 25 hours per week on the next episode of the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. That's all for today. Take care and flourish.